Last year, Itinoverica, now Datos Insights, conducted a survey of 18 large financial institutions in North America about the recent activity and publicity around P2P scams and how they affected the financial institutions' focus in this area. They uncovered that 94% of financial institutions are stepping up customer education and awareness campaigns in order to combat online scams. And the big question is how? How do we create effective awareness in order to really truly impact the success of online scams on our customer base? We're going to discuss that and much more in today's episode of Scam Rangers. This episode is brought to you by Scam Ranger. Scam Ranger enables you to empower your customers to protect themselves against online scams. Go to scamranger.ai to learn more. Scam Rangers, a podcast about the human side of fraud and the people who are on a mission to protect us. I'm your host, Ayelet Bigger-Levine, and I'm passionate about driving awareness and solving this problem. Today's Scam Ranger is Gabby Friedlander. He's the CEO and founder of Wiser Security Awareness Training. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited. Finally, we're getting to do this uh, online, not just yeah. in person. Usually it's the other way around. And full disclosure, Gabby and I, uh, and we'll, we'll share a little more about this, but we actually have partnered in education and in driving awareness for cybersecurity and, and other areas. So we'll talk a little bit about that later. So Gabby, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a veteran in the cybersecurity industry. You're a serial entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your journey before your last venture, Wiser. Sure. So like you said, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. My background is actually coding. So I'm a product guy that built products that eventually became startups. Uh, the last one was, uh, before this one, was Observe It. It was an insider threat solution that helped a lot of banks, insurance companies, and we were the pioneers of providing a solution for insider threat. I remember the days where we had to convince people that, you know, insider threat is a real thing. So that took some education, you know. 12, 14 years of doing that, we sold it to a proof point. And uh, yeah, I, I moved on to my next thing, which is uh, Wiser. Um, we're going to probably touch that as well. And uh, that's what I do. You do that and you do many other things too for the community. Uh, I yes. know as well, uh, mentoring children uh, in leadership programs and also driving cybersecurity awareness on a community level, which we'll talk about as well. So tell us a little bit about Wiser. Wiser is a cybersecurity awareness training company. Tell us a little bit about how you started, how you came to start Wiser. Was it a, kind of an experiment? I know you're kind of a very creative uh, guy who tries a, a bunch of things and then you just go with the flow. Tell us about that journey. So yeah, so I think yeah, this is exactly what happened. So after I sold Observe It, I had some, uh, I basically became a stay-at-home dad and I had uh, time to uh, sell security uh, to my kids and to my family. And I pitched them all day about the importance of security and all of that. And I realized that for um, almost 12 years, I had three insider threats at home. 
Um, so I sort of overlooked that part. And what I wanted to do is sort of, like you said, experiment. So I reached out to content creators online and I collaborated with them and I created some cool videos, short form videos about the importance of security. Again, you know, I had time. Uh, so I used that time to do this. My kids loved it. I started posting it on social media. Um, it really blew up. And uh, the next step was, you know, once I figured out, okay, we have here something, people like it. Actually, people do care about security. It's really a matter of how it's delivered. Once I figured that out, I built a product around it, which is Wiser. And uh, basically, it's a learning management solution that hosts the video that we produce. It includes also phishing simulation and some other features. And we started with the free version because the mission was to raise awareness in, in, in general, you know, to the public. It wasn't even um, a business, uh, business model yet. So we launched Wiser. People started, companies started to subscribe. They started to train their employees. And then we figured out, okay, we need to make money somehow, right? Like, otherwise, it's not going to be scalable. So then we offered the boost version, which is that phishing simulation and uh, more content around compliance and regulations. And basically it blew up. We have over 20,000 organizations using Wiser in total. And um, we're able to both serve the community, serve both the uh, business community by giving a free solution, serve the uh, average day person. You know, we do a lot of online safety videos for the family and also uh, make money. So uh, I'm really happy win, with win. where we are and I'm excited where we're heading. That's awesome. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the effectiveness of awareness training, because one of the things when we talk about the scam life cycle, we talk about, you know, from the moment someone gets a call or an email or sees a pop-up message and then goes down that path of emotional manipulation and then tries to transfer money, we also talk about solutions across the scam life cycle. So if it starts with the end, trying to recover the funds is really hard. It's possible in right. some cases. And then catching the transaction and saying, you know, this looks like a scam transaction, although it's a legitimate person, but they're under the influence. It's also pretty hard because you have to detect intent. Yeah. And we've also learned that it's not effective to stop it then because of the emotional right. manipulation. And one of the things we've been advocating here on the podcast is catch it before the emotional manipulation. Right. And awareness is a great way to drive that. However, I've seen financial institutions being hesitant about driving awareness. And uh, in the past, it was via email, maybe sending, you know, sending customers information about the scams. But emails, lengthy emails are less effective. Right. We know people don't read T's and C's. They don't look at these emails so much. Whereas in the UK, we saw these huge scam related campaigns on mm -hmm. media, etc. I think there's been a, a huge change recently in the US and financial institutions actually in a recent uh, research conducted by um, I, formerly IT group, uh, now Dados, um, they talk about specifically P2P scams. So like Zelle and others, and they state that 94% of financial institutions in the survey that they've done are going to invest and step up their education and awareness campaigns. So that's great right. news. My question to you is from your experience about driving awareness and, and being 
kind of getting in front of the problem, what are the most effective ways in your mind and what makes one awareness program more effective than another one with the approach and really yeah. getting things to stick in people's minds? So a few things. First of all, um, people, people see banks as a place that they can safely put their money. That, that's the basic, right? You don't put it under your mattress, right? Uh, at least most people. So the idea is that banks sell safety. We put the money with us, you know, we'll give you some kind of insurance if something happens. That's the essence. So it's in their DNA to basically make sure people are safe. And it's not just technology. You know, we are um, at a point today where people are getting scammed. Banks can say, look, it's not my problem. You know, you got scammed, right? But at the end of the day, the perception is a reality. You know, like victims say, well, you should have known better that I'm sending it to a fraudulent account. How don't you have technology that does that? So the expectation is that the banks will provide a safety net for us especially when the transaction is happening in their marketplace, right? It's happening where basically on the platforms of the bank. So I think there is, first of all, a huge opportunity to go back to the basics, right? To go back to why we put money in the bank. And I think banks that go with that uh, mission and that vision, you know, remember the roots and basically sell safety as the reason they exist, I think they will uh, win the trust of their customers. So this is a great, you know, uh, marketing vehicle. Some, especially, you know, whenever there is an issue like in the market and there's a lot of scams, there's also opportunities, right? Like problems produce opportunities. You know, I'm looking at that as an entrepreneur as well. So if we see a lot of scams, like who's going to step up and help? The first ones that will do that are those that will benefit the customer's trust. And there are many, there are many ways to do that, right? Um, right now, I wouldn't say they're not doing it at all, but it's sometimes it's full compliance, you know, like in the footer of the email. Um, it's not like center and front, you know, front and center on their homepage. Like they need to sell that. They need to sell to their customers, come to us because we give you that blanket of safety uh, all in all. And I think it's a missed opportunity, unfortunately. Uh, I don't understand why even compliance needs to like, you know, force them to do that. This is an amazing marketing uh, vehicle for, for banks. Well, I think that's really, really interesting. And, and really that mind shift of we're not doing this because we need to. We're doing this because it's an opportunity to retain customers, to get more customers, to be that financial institution that cares. So I think that's a great point. And from your experience, what approaches to awareness on a community level? You talked about Wiser also doing a lot of kind of community awareness uh, training. What what do you think helps? And what was your approach? And and how does it stick with with your target audience? I'll give you uh, an example from a different uh, line of business and how I think it can be shifted towards uh, the financial institute and uh, what we're doing about it. So if you look at Nike, for example, right? Shoes, right? Um, they don't sell the features, right? They don't sell like, we've got the most cushioned shoe or we got the most, I don't know, uh, whatever attribute shoe. 
they say just do it, right? Like they give, they remind people why they are wearing those shoes, you know? It's not for the feature, it's for, you know, going fast. And that's why they sponsor all these athletes and they don't really talk so much about, you know, the features of the shoes. And I think, you know, what we do, for example, and then I'll tie it back to the banks, um, what we've done with Wiser is that I never forget the mission of why we started it, which is to educate the masses about online safety and making it a basic life skill. So instead of saying, okay, we're a for-profit business and let's just talk about all the features and how we are competitive uh, versus our competitors, you know, how we're uh, differentiating ourselves. We are providing a lot of content for families. We're going to schools, for example, what we're doing together. Um, we are providing free content, like we're pushing and we're spending actually a lot of money in creating content that we will see zero dollars from because our buyer is not the kid or the grandma or the average person. It's for businesses, but people buy from companies that they believe in their mission. So going back to those banks, you know, like how do you raise awareness? You're going, I'm just tying everything together to what we started with. You know, you buy from banks because they keep you safe, right? And you have to tie it back to that. So sort of like just do it was, you know, one of the best uh, campaigns. Banks need to come up with their own campaign and basically uh, get people to use their solution because it's the safest place to transact. And, and, and again, going back to that opportunity. So many ways to do that. Um, I actually posted earlier today uh, a video on LinkedIn about wire fraud. Um, it's a minute video and it's really funny and it's already going viral. So this is the type of stuff that banks can do. So one thing I think we touched upon is really financial institutions taking that approach of seeing this as an opportunity and advocating for it for driving awareness for their customers. But when we talk about the content itself, how do we create content that will stick? If our listeners are mostly fraud fighters at financial institutions and other organizations, and they come to their marketing counterparts and they tell them, I think we need to drive awareness for all the reasons that you stated earlier. This is a business opportunity. It drives customer retention. We need to, we want to be the most trusted, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of, approach should they take in creating the videos from a effectiveness perspective so that their campaigns will actually stop scams, will actually help customers not get scammed? Yeah. So see what's working, right? Social media is full of content, right? Every day there are new trends, whether it's, you know, songs, dances, memes, uh, all type of like... Tons, like there is no shortage of creativity online. Um, tied to a specific trend that is going right now, collaborate with content creators, you know, make them push that message, show to the world that you care. For example, you know, go to schools, you know, um, um, uh, donate to specific causes and, and show that, show that you're doing, make out of it uh, a cause that you are putting your money behind it. It's not hard. 
right? It's like, um, and if you're a bank and if you're a financial institution, you probably have money to support some of the people in the community to help deliver that message. And at the end of the day, awareness versus training, awareness doesn't require to learn a topic in depth. You know, all it requires is to remind people, you know, like when you cross the road, look left and right. You don't have to learn, you know, the history of roads um, and all the type of roads and all the cross sections. You know, you, there are some basic things. And like you said, at the end of the day, if people would have, you know, that's when you talk to victims. If I only thought even this could have been a scam, I would have have not, you know, went through with it, you know, but I, I didn't have a clue. So all you need is to create that. Maybe this is not true. That, that's all you need. That, that's the purpose of awareness, not to teach a topic. Exactly. And it's, it's really to insert skepticism in the process. It's just that. It all comes down to that. I really like what you said about uh, looking at trends online, because I think there's this notion that cybersecurity is so serious. It's a serious topic, and we need to be serious about delivering this. But actually, and we've seen this in campaigns in, in Santander and HSBC, they've created this fun, these fun campaigns with mentalists and, and tricking people on the street. And I think looking at trends online and, and also depending on the population you're talking to, if you're reaching out to older population or, or you know people who lost a loved one and you might be susceptible to romance scams and things like that, it's really creating content from a marketing standpoint and not exactly. the security oh, yeah. risk standpoint, which is considered heavy and, and maybe exactly. outdated. It's really being a marketer for yeah. this awareness, which is I'm hearing yeah. from you. It's, it's a great point you're making. And I think, you know, if we shift for a second for um, awareness internally, you know, how companies do awareness because of compliance. And I think this is what's driving the problem. When it comes to compliance, companies require 100% participation, right? Like you have, everybody has to finish this. This leads to poor level of content. The shift is from, let's see if people like this, to what can we do to force people to watch it? So then instead of investing in content, in the quality of the content, you invest in reminders and stick and carrot and reports and all of those things to force people to do it because you have to get to that 100%. So I think this is the type of stuff that if people had to do awareness internally and the success would be progress and not 100%, let's see how we did, let's see how many people want to consume our content and then try to improve and improve and improve and improve that would be amazing and make every, and by the way, you can, like every company, right? Not just banks. They have an amazing opportunity because they can not only teach employees how to keep safe online on their personal life. They can give tools to every employee to take home and to teach their kids and their family how to be safe. Like that's a benefit. That's not a chore. Yeah. Everybody should want that. So the problem is that I think it's driven a lot about, you know, from people that are security experts, not communication experts or marketing experts, and they don't, uh, they don't know how to deliver. The, they know a lot about it, but they don't know how to deliver the message. So the next podcast episode is going to be how to make friends with marketing and turn them into your best yeah. ally.
But I think it's really important. I, I, that's the way to effectively get out there and, and preach security. And I love the idea of having your online safety ambassadors that go beyond your frame of the organization, but actually yeah. it's a community opportunity. And I think if financial institutions engage in community-wide, and I know financial institutions do amazing things in driving you know, equity and social care, one of the things that to me is kind of the most alarming in terms of online scams is the victims are getting younger and younger. We're talking about meal account victims. We're mm-hmm. talking about sextortion that is mostly uh, young male teens. And it, it keeps getting lower. And the, the age of device users is also getting lower and lower. And that really scares me. And one of the things that really scares me the most is, is extortion is when, um, when young teenagers are reached out to by a stranger that lures them and convinces them to send nude pictures of themselves and then Mm -hmm. turn around and start extorting them and threatening them. And people are taking their lives. And we're talking about hundreds of people every year. And this really terrifies me to death. And I think we really need to think about taking acting on on a social level as financial institutions as government institutions and really targeting that problem it's going to impact our society not just extortion all these types of threats to our children yeah it's impacting more and more and i think with the introduction of ai you know deep fake voice cloning all of those things um People, people need to remember that uh, a physical person is not the same as a digital person. You know, it's two different things. And you never know who's behind that digital person. And it's a concept that is hard to sort of uh, think about, you know. It's logical, but it's hard to accept, you know. You just see a message from your mom, from your kid. Like, it's them, right? You don't think oh, they were hacked and now somebody's using their account. You know, you, you just don't think like that. And there is a reason you don't think like that, you know, because you haven't been, uh, nothing like, the, the it's not a problem, but the fact that usually nothing happens, right, builds sort of like a false sense of security, right? Because um, we talk every day, so like this message, is, of course it's from you, right? I don't think that it's someone else. But the fact that it never happened up until now doesn't mean that it won't happen. So you have to build those guardrails for yourself. It's not hard, you know. You don't get run down, you know. You don't have to get run down by a car to look left and right, you know. You just, it's a it's something that you just built in, you know. You learn how to do it. You look left and right. And that's it. There's no need for, you know, an accident or a history of an accident to actually become aware of the problem. Right. However, in, in safety in physical safety training, when we teach our kids how to cross the street, we tell them about the risk. We tell them the why, right? Exactly. So you have to hear also start with the why. Yeah. So one of the things that I mentioned earlier is that you and I started to talk to kids at schools about online safety. And one of the things that I've been advocating for a while is let's get those messages in early. We talked about extortion and romance scams. And 
one, what we were set to, what we set ourselves up to do is really teach some concepts early on. So we visited fifth graders. We thought it was too early, but we realized it's, it's spot on. And maybe middle school is even too late because those fifth graders, many of them have phones. All of them have some device that they connect to in their spare time. They do, they go online, they play games, they share passwords. I wanted to talk a little bit about what, what you and I had talked about with the schools and why those messages are so important and also draw the lines to online scams that happen later in life. Definitely, I like that idea of a community advocate because I think these principles could really drive that level of awareness from a very, very young age, just like crossing the street and, and riding a bike and those things that you need to think about. We had kind of three major topics. The first one was password safety. So do you want to share kind of the why behind that? And we can talk a little bit about what we actually talked about with the kids. Yeah, so, you know, in essence... Um... One of the issues with at least schools in America, I don't know about, you know, rest of the world, but um, schools sort of own the user and password of the kid. That's the mindset, meaning they give the kid the username and password and they ask the kid to use it everywhere. The same user and password to use it across all applications. It's just easier to manage than, you know, if the kid forgets their password then um, you just, you know, need to like give it once and not for every app in school. So which I, I just want to say this is progress because it used to be one password for all the kids. Oh, OK. So now they, yeah. So now they at least have a password per kid and uh, also an image kind of site to user yeah. authentication. But they don't necessarily have single sign on. So as you yeah. said, it's one password to. So um, basically they, yeah, they share the same username and password across all apps. And what happens is that we're teaching them uh, some behavior habits that are bad, right? Because when they go home, they only remember one password. And it's easy. The password they use at school. So now they use the same password for uh, social media, for their computer, for apps. Um, and it's just, you know, a bad practice. Uh, and I've, I'm even putting aside the fact that they don't know how to create a password, you know, that it's very easy to crack and there are short passwords and, you know, includes their name and, and dog name and stuff like that. That's sort of how the school teaches them to create a password. So, you know, we'll leave that alone. But, you know, one of the things we speak about is that websites get hacked you know, and then their password gets leaked, even if they are very, very secure. So these are the type of topics uh, we touch. Um, and just to add to that, the, the, the risks of phishing. I know we talked about yeah. it later when we talked to the kids, but when it comes to password, and one is the fact that if, if there's a data breach, but also if, if, some, if someone does get fished and, and does share personal information, then reuse of passwords is just a greater risk. So yep. uh, definitely part of that as well. So the second topic we talked about is the whole concept of strangers online, which is so relevant to right. online scams, right? And we asked the question that actually you brought up, and I think it's a brilliant question, is what is the risk of talking to a stranger online if you're never going to see them, never yeah. going to meet them in person? And that was a really, really interesting conversation we had with the kids. We asked the question and we just let them answer. Yeah. So I think it's a very, um, yeah, it's, it is an interesting question because 
we were uh, when we were kids, we were taught stranger danger because somebody, you know, in a van may uh, kidnap us or, you know, something like that was sort of the risk. Um, kids today see a stranger, I would say, very differently. And, and, and parents don't understand that they see a stranger because they're not going to meet them and they don't feel the physical risk. They feel anonymity and they feel freedom. So they're actually um, seeing a stranger as someone they can tell that stranger anything um, because they can just wipe that stranger away. So they don't understand the concept of risk when talking to strangers. So we have to teach them, you know, those concepts. Uh, we talk about applications like Omegle and others where, you know, random webcams and uh, yeah, a lot of topics that we touch. Uh, but it's very interesting when you talk to kids to see how their perspective on a stranger is when it's online versus physical. And one of the things that we talk to them about and something that you kept raising is if you are feeling lonely, if you're feeling like you have a problem, it's not the stranger you need to talk to for a few reasons. One, they're going to give you bad advice. They don't care about you. They're strangers. But two... That's, that's where grooming starts later on for scams, right? When someone is vulnerable and they come and talk to strangers that they don't know, they don't really know who this person is on the other side, if they're really who they are claiming to be or someone else, they might be that legitimate person. But regardless, talk to your friends, talk to your family, trust in people you know care about you and not people who are grooming you. And... Of course, we didn't use the terms grooming and we didn't talk to that extent, but it was more about they might give you bad advice because they really don't, don't know you. And we also talked about the risks of oversharing with strangers and the fact that, you know, if you tell them too much about yourself, they can, we did, we did talk about the risks a little bit, but, but it's the same with online dating and with getting to romance scams eventually. If you and and even cryptocurrency investment scams, if you share too much about yourself, that's exactly the tactic cyber criminals are using to lure their victims. So that's another concept that we wanted to get into kids' thoughts at a very young age. I remember there was, uh, if you remember, I guess you remember as well. There was one kid that raised her hand and she said, "But what if I tell my parents and they take my phone away?" So I think you know. This is a conversation that that's why we usually do after we do the session with the kids. We usually do in the evening a session with the parents because both need to learn. You know, it's not like just talk to the kids because parents need to provide this safe space for kids to come to them without feeling they'll be punished if they tell them something uh, bad they experienced. So it has to have that, uh, you have to set up that environment that will allow the kid to approach you and not a stranger. So another thing that we talked about with the kids was uh, what I called the grandma test, and I was corrected to be, to be the grandparent test because it can also be grandma. But essentially, the goal, and this also ties to sextortion, is think about what you're sharing online. Everything that you store on your phone even, but everything definitely that you share on Snapchat, on Instagram, on TikTok is there. Is there for for you know, for the rest of time, right? Because the internet remembers everything. So we talked about it in context of 
you know, think about you're in fifth grade now, but think about your 20 year, five year old self applying for a job. Think about your that age person looking to date someone. And that concept of think about what you're posting online is really important for many, many reasons. But one of them is, is also the safety. And then we talked about sending even messages, even instant messaging, DMs. Don't share with your friends things that you don't want your grandparents to see, right? So no nudes, no uh, silly things, nothing that will, because, and we, what we said to them, we don't think your friends are malicious, but someone can grab their phone away from them. Maybe their sibling, maybe a friend of a friend that gr- took their phone away and, and is now, we've seen that in movies, we've seen that in on 13 Reasons. I don't know if anyone has seen that, but those things are really can can uh, lower ages it could be just socially embarrassing but at later ages it could be used for extortion and i think you had a video that shared a case with uh an instagram or snapchat account that got hacked yeah which is you know this goes back to this also ties nicely to privacy that um even if we don't feel you know when we started to ask them to tie it back to the password because it's sort of like it's it's a very similar topic like what do you need to protect, you know? And it was funny because they they said bank accounts and stuff like that. You know, they raised their hands and we we're like, you know, like, do you have a bank account? No. Uh, credit card? No. So like, why are you saying all those documents, you know, because they think like their parents, you know, they're trying to say the right answer. But then when we ask them, like, what happens if, you know, would you feel comfortable to give your camera roll to your, you know, a random friend in class? And they were like, no, you know, <laughs> or read your messages. And so they forget what is privacy and what they're entitled to and that the fact that they need to protect it. So and, the, and, the, and it ties to that Snapchat thing where understanding where the data is stored, because there is a difference if it's stored on your phone or it's stored in private memories on your Snapchat, because if your Snapchat gets hacked, that's it. You know, like all those images uh, that you kept private now can get leaked. So the internet is not only, you know, the public world. It's also the things that are private, but not on your phone. So they need to understand where things are stored in order and how to protect them in order to be, uh, to, to basically keep their privacy, which is very important. Right. And then the third concept was if something is too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. And that's a, a, definitely a concept that ties to, you know, the Nigerian prince scam, the inheritance scams, the yeah. crypto investment scams, everything around the gaining something scams, not the fear mm-hmm. scams, but actually the opportunity scams yeah. and planting that seed of skepticism very early on. Um, so right. what, again, the content that was created by you guys, by Wiser, you showed them, you want, maybe you want to share about the, the two the game sheets and the Roblox. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, in the gaming world that um, kids love to do is to, um, you know, use game cheats and stuff like that to progress in the game. And unfortunately, there's a lot of scams around that. Too many scams. Kids are basically lured to either download a game cheat or sign in to a fake website in order to collect for example, free V-Bucks, which is the digital currency for uh, Fortnite. So the idea is that 
once they log in to that fake account, it's basically uh, a phishing where their account gets stolen. However, during that process, there is usually another scam that happens where they need to verify they're a human. How do you verify that you're human? It looks legit. You know, you're asked, you're being asked, how old are you? Where do you live? Stuff like that. And they don't think about it. They just think it's part of the process, but basically they're sharing private information. So not only their account was taken, their also private information was shared and that can be used later for uh, further scams. So, and, and the surprising thing is, is that those things are advertised on YouTube because what happens is that, first of all, YouTube can't just like, you know, validate uh, all videos that are uploaded. It's almost impossible. So there's a lot of scams that go through, but there's also a lot of advertisers that get hacked and their accounts are used to push advertisements uh, of scams. Because they didn't, because the advertiser didn't protect their account, so they took over their advertiser's account, and now they're using that to push advert scam ads. What's really interesting, in addition, in that video, is the process of verifying you're a human. Also, has another dopamine inducer, which is win a prize like a free Samsung Galaxy or Chipotle. It was so interesting to see how the kids reacted to some of these things. Like, who likes free game cheats? Everybody's like, yeah, all the boys, to be honest mostly. Um, and then who, everyone saw the options for a gift on the way and everyone's like, Chipotle, $100 free gift card. So it was so interesting. Like every time there was a opportunity for dopamine, they jumped for it. And it was really hard. I think those are one of the hardest things to stop, be skeptical and nothing is free ever. Like just, you know, and so that, that conversation to me was, was pretty hard because they got excited at all the wrong hooks and uh, and and trying to create a shift there is hard. So I, I definitely think that starting young and creating the right habits and creating the right skepticism, I loved your analogy of crossing the street. You don't have to get hit by a car to start acting properly. So we don't have to be scammed or, you know, have these social embarrassments, even not talking about a crash, like being scammed, but social embarrassments to act in a way that will safeguard us and, and just create those habits. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I love what you are doing on a social level. I love that your mission is really creating ambassadors and, the, and creating a community and creating a mindset of security. Um, and that the place that it comes from is amazing. So if, I'm a fraud fighter at a financial institution and I want to partner with marketing. What do you say I suggest I do tomorrow morning to, to make a change, to drive change in the mindset of my own financial institution? Army with some ammunition there. Yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, you need to sell it, right? Because fraud fighters usually deal with frauds that I think happened, right? So now they need to deal with it. Um, this is before it happened, right? This is something that they need to um, sell to their marketers, so to the marketing team. So what I would suggest is, first of all, you can contact us, right? Uh, both of us online, and we would be more than happy to help. But there are, and maybe you can share like links to videos that they can give examples because people love examples. Look at this bank, look at what they did, look at how they marketed it, because that will just make it easier 
to open the imagination of the marketers of what they can do by um, using these tools because you want to differentiate yourself and I think you can differentiate yourself with the mission. I think it's very blurry today, the difference between one bank and another. Uh, it's uh, I don't understand like what's the difference between one and, and another bank. They all look the same. You know, maybe the app, you know, I love their app versus their app. But that's sort of it. I think here there is an emotional connection that can be made and we could just share some videos and, and they need to uh, sell it. You know, it's uh, they need to sell it and um, they need to also believe in it in a, in a deeper level. So because it won't necessarily impact their job on a, it won't make, you know, detecting fraud that already happened because this is the awareness piece. So I think collaborating will give them also the, the fraud fighters a bigger view um, of, of, you know, the entire landscape of, of the fraud, you know, the life cycle, like you say, it gives them um, ability to, to collaborate with different teams. I think it's more interesting to have that different arms in different places to eventually feel the entire life cycle. And at the end of the day, you should feel it by seeing less fraud. And people will thank you. You know, I think people will uh, will thank you. Absolutely. Gabi, thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts with us, for being a guest on the podcast. And uh, looking forward to chatting soon. Thank you very much for inviting me. This episode is brought to you by ScamRanger. ScamRanger enables you to empower your customers to protect themselves against online scams. Go to scamranger.ai to learn more.